Good morning. You know, I was thinking as I came here this morning, one of the most important things in ministry is that you have to be sure of your call. Uh, and the reason you have to be is that sometimes you encounter difficulties and you think about, you know, should I be doing this? Should I be here? Should I be with these people? And you have to be sure of your call so that you can continue on the journey. And when I got off the plane last night and I got into my car this morning, I was sure of my call to stay in Arizona. Um, I can tell you, I shoveled plenty of snow. So I stand before you as a man convicted and certain of his call. And I would encourage some of you deciding on what you're going to do when you get out of school. Think south. That's all I would say to you. We welcome you in the U.S. If you have any trouble getting through the border, mention my name. And um, you'll be detained. Um, <clears throat> this morning, oh, before I forget, which I always do, we have some information on the back. I have one of my last newsletters in the old days known as prayer letters uh, to let you know some of the different things that I do and what we've been doing. And also, next month, we're going to have a Hanukkah meeting here in Toronto where we will celebrate Hanukkah and talk a little bit about the festival, too, so... If you're interested in any of those things, there's information on the back, so feel free to help yourself to that. This morning, I'm going to tell you a story about Abraham and Isaac, uh, one of my favorite stories. It's a very interesting story. Uh, I did tons of research for this story. I read commentaries. I listened to other people's sermons. I even looked at Wikipedia, all the important sources, and... One of the things that I discovered about this story is that almost everyone seems to take the story of Abraham and Isaac from the perspective of Abraham. People talk about the great faith of Abraham, the obedience of Abraham, the difficulty of the task of Abraham, and no one talks about Isaac. And I thought, humanly speaking, if Isaac was with us today he'd feel that he's getting shortchanged. Why does everybody talk about his dad and nobody talks about him? So I decided to tell the story from the perspective of Isaac. Second thing about this story that makes it very unusual is that it involves the idea of child sacrifice. Uh, generally speaking, in the world we live in today, child sacrifice is frowned upon. And it wasn't until both of my boys became teenagers that I began to understand the wisdom of that concept. <laughs> and I remember very clearly one day I went to my wife and I said to her, it's in the Bible. Maybe it's an option. But it was her lack of faith that prevented us from going down that road. <clears throat> but it's a strange idea, isn't it? If I had to describe God in only one word, it would be that he is a God of love. I believe that's the very essence of God, and everything he does comes from the fact that he's a God of love. And yet on one hand, we have this God of love who on the other hand, asks not only a follower, but an obedient follower to sacrifice his son. 
And sometimes it's hard to put these two ideas together, especially for people who have not yet come to know God. So this morning, I hope that through the telling of this story, we will see why God would allow such a thing to happen. This story is called, Don't Talk to Me About Sacrifice. And it's the story of Isaac. There's a song, and every time I hear it, it reminds me of my mountaintop experience. It also reminds me of what a Dylan fan my father is. You know, Bob Dylan, whose real name is Robert Zimmerman, he has become my father's favorite musical descendant. Can't tell you how many times I've heard Dylan tunes coming out of his heavenly tent. And if it's a really good day, Dad even thinks he is Bob. He stands out in front of his tent. The answer, my friends, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. I know. Nobody has the heart to tell Dad how he really sounds. He's having such a good time. and Sorry talking to all of you like you know who my father is. And if you don't know who my father is, you're not going to know who I am. My dad is Abraham. You know, the Abraham. And I'm his son. The only one. Isaac. I would bet all of you here this morning that out of everybody in the whole Old Testament, my father is probably the best known. There's been so many things written about him, and over the last several thousand years, I have managed to read every single word. And if you ask me to sum up my father in one sentence, I'd have to pick the verse that's written about him in the New Testament. You know the verse where Paul writes this, And Abraham is the father of all those who walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. That's what Paul calls him, our father Abraham. And he certainly deserves a title like that. But let me ask you a question. If people call my dad the father of the faith, don't you think it's only fair they should call me the son of the faith? I mean, after all, it was me who was on the cutting edge of the faith, under the knife, so to speak. Why do people always talk about my father? Why don't you ever hear people talking about me? You know, from the very beginning, before the beginning of my life, God was involved with me. One day, he himself came to my soon-to-be parents' tent, told them they were going to have a son. What do you think my parents said when they heard that news? Oh, Todorabah, thank you very much. No. They laughed. The both of them. Which is how I got my name. Isaac. Yitzchak. He laughs. How would you like to go through life with a name like he laughs? He laughs. Dinner time. He laughs. 
I told you don't play so far from that tent. Come in just a little bit. Every time one of my parents called me, the whole neighborhood was reminded about their little lapse of faith. And in our house, faith was an important word. It was more than a word. It was the beginning of the story of my family. You see, one day dad was living up in Haran when God came and spoke to him. Told him that he wanted dad to go to this land, a new land. A land that dad did not even know. And by faith, dad gets up and goes. Now when he got there, God spoke to him a second time. Told him he was going to have more children and there were stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Now at the time, dad had only one son, Ishmael, who was not even the son of his wife. But because dad believed God would do what he said, his name was changed. He used to be called Abram, the exalted father. But when he came to believe God would give him all these descendants, his name was changed to Abraham, the father of a multitude. And all of this happened by faith. Now it was exactly one year after that promise was made by God that I was born. And from the second I made my entrance, I was the favorite child, especially of my mother. Now, there are some Bible teachers today, and they will try to convince you that I was spoiled as a kid. That is absolutely untrue. Not going to tell you that being called the miracle kid didn't have any effect on me, you know. (laughs) Both my parents were way too old to have children. And whenever anybody saw me, they always said the same thing. Hey, miracle kid, how are you? But it's not my special birth that sticks in the minds of most people. You know what people remember when they hear my name? They remember the time my father almost sacrificed me. That's what people remember. I know. Some of you here may find that to be a controversial and upsetting idea. You should have been around the first time my mother heard about it. (laughs) You see, probably the best way to begin telling you my story is the way that Moses himself chose. And Moses wrote this. And it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. You like that verse? God tested Abraham doesn't say anything about me getting tested. It's Abraham who gets tested. God told him that he was to take me and bring me to this place called Moriah. Now, the first time I heard that word, it sounded strange to me. But since then, this has become a well-known place to everyone who studies the scriptures. First, and very important to me, It's just the fact that I myself happen to be at that mountain. I think it makes it special. You're not as impressed with me as I am. Okay, how about this? The writer of Chronicles wrote, 
And Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. Two special events that happened at that mountain. And there's even more. There was a... Save that for a little bit later in the story. Going to this mountain was one thing. What my father planned to do when we got there, it was a whole different story. God told him that he was to take me and offer me as a sacrifice on the top of that mountain. Now, I don't know exactly where I was when God and my father were going over the little details of their plan. But if I had any idea what it was, I don't think I would have wanted to go. Who knew? Moses continues his story by writing this. And early the next morning, Abraham got up. You think he would mention that I got up? Now, I am not a morning person. And for me to get up early, it is a very big sacrifice. And you would think that I would get half a verse. <laughs> Nothing. Abraham gets up. Comes into the tent where I'm sleeping. Isaac. Isaac. Get up. We're going on a little trip. <clears throat> a trip. <clears throat> kind of trip. Dad. Hey. Still dark outside. Shh. Don't wake up your mother. What's a big secret, Dad? You come in the middle of the night, I don't even know where we're going or what. Shh. Hurry up. Uh, Dad, you think I could grab a bagel or something before we left? Get up, get dressed. Come out of the tent and here's my father all ready to go on his trip. Two of his servants are with him. A donkey that is fully loaded with supplies. And dad gets a little caravan together and off we go to Mount Moriah. Almost. Because it was at that time that my mom did wake up. And one of the things my mother is known for, especially at that time of day, is being a very fast talker. And when she got up and saw my father, she said to him, Abby, that's what she called him, Abby. Abby, where do you think you're going? You're not a kidding book when you put the four kings of your hand on a tent and we're fighting. Did you understand what I'm trying to say to you? <laughs> Dad says nothing. And then my mother saw me. And what is that boy doing? I think he's on a I think he's old enough to be going anywhere. He's in a jacket or anything. I have no idea. Did you bring food for me? I have no idea. Did you understand what I'm trying to say to you? <laughs> Dad, he still says nothing. Now, it wasn't often that my parents would have a disagreement. I mean, a big disagreement. But I could tell that this exchange had the potential to become one of the biggest. And finally, my father spoke. Sarah, there, there's something that I must do, and the boy must come with me. Just trust me. We will be gone for one week, 
and then we'll return to you. And that, as they say, it was that. The little caravan got together and off we went to Mount Moriah. Now from our home in Beersheba to this mountain was a three-day journey, 60 miles. And from the second we left our tent until the second we got to that mountain, I talked constantly. I was really excited. I I never had a chance to go anywhere. Both of my boys, Jacob and Esau, have been more places than me. For me, going to this mountain was one exciting adventure. I didn't realize how exciting it was going to turn out to be, but I was excited. And I was so excited that I never stopped talking the entire way. And I talked so much during that trip, I didn't realize my father didn't say a single word. Now, at the time, I thought Dad was just concentrating on where we were going. You know, if you got lost in our day, you didn't just pull your camel over and get some directions. You had some serious problems. But now I know what Dad was thinking about. The whole three days, he had only one thought on his mind. And that was, when we got to that mountain, he was going to sacrifice me. Three days. 60 miles. And it was the afternoon of the third day that we started to draw close to that mountain. And the closer we got, the more excited my father became and he rushed us all along until that night we camped at the foot of Mount Moriah. Next morning, Dad got up and he made some things for us to eat. And he called the two servants over to him. Isaac and I are going to go up this mountain and worship God. And when we finish, we will return to you. Then my father took some wood that he had cut, and he gave it to me to carry. And he grabbed the fire. It was a small burning ember that we carried with us. And he took a knife, a big knife. And we started to climb that mountain. Now, one ancient rabbi wrote about this time in my life. And this is what he wrote. Like one who carries on his own shoulder the stake upon which he is to be executed, so was Isaac as he carried the wood up that mountain. Now, is that true or what? I mean, you talk about the sacrificial lamb. People always ask me about that climb. And they asked me the same two questions. Isaac, how did it feel when you were going up that mountain? How could you have been so brave? How did it feel when I was climbing that mountain? Like I was climbing a mountain. (laughs) How else could it feel? I had no idea that the wood I'm carrying was the same wood that my father was planning to burn me on. It was very easy to be brave as I climbed that mountain. However, I did notice one thing. You know, around our tent, a sacrifice was not an unusual experience. And one of the things I've learned about having a sacrifice is that it's crucial 
that you actually have something to sacrifice. And as we climb the mountain, I notice we seem to be missing a very important item. Decided to take a quick inventory. Wood, check. Knife, check. Fire, check. Sacrifice, no check. That might be a problem. So I decided to ask that as we climbed. Uh, Dad, I noticed that I have the wood to burn the sacrifice. You have the fire to light the wood for the sacrifice. Got the big knife to kill the sacrifice. Just wonder if you're happy to notice. We don't seem to have a sacrifice. Dad looked at me like he never did before. And he said, God himself will provide the sacrifice. God will give us exactly what we need. And it was then I realized this was not going to be an ordinary sacrifice. But I didn't have much time to think about it. Because by that time we had reached the top of the mountain and when we did, my father seemed to know exactly where he was going. He threw some stones together to build an altar. Took him no time at all. And when he was finished, he looked up at me. Isaac, bring me that wood. I brought the wood over to my dad and he took it. And he started to put it out on the altar. Piece by piece. I'd never seen my father do that before. And when all the wood was on the altar, he stepped back and he rearranged the wood and stepped back and rearranged it again. It took him forever. And finally, when he was satisfied, he looked at me again. Isaac, climb up on this wood. Excuse me? I came over and I sat down. And the second I did, my father started to tie me up. He tied up my hands and he tied up my feet. And in two minutes, I'm lying bound head to foot on this altar. Now, over time, this action of my father has become known as the Akeda, which literally means the binding, the binding of Isaac. And I remember thinking very specifically as I lay on that altar, I'm in a real bind. (laughs) The Akeda. It almost sounds like some kind of official action or something. But to me, it was my dad. He was tying me up to sacrifice me. There are so many things written about this point in my life as well. Another ancient rabbi wrote this. He said, as Isaac lay on the altar, he called out to his father to tighten the ropes even more because he was afraid. He was afraid that his father's hand might shake with grief or that he, that Isaac, might move suddenly And then the knife would only scar him, making him unfit to offer as a sacrifice. 
Another ancient writer wrote, The fact that Isaac allowed himself to be bound shows his supreme faith, both in his father and in his God. You know how stories grow over time? I mean, it's it's true. I was a willing participant. But at the time, I just couldn't believe that it was my dad, that he had tied me up to sacrifice me. And as I lay on that altar, for the first time in years, my thoughts turned to my brother Ishmael. Now, when we were both little kids, we really didn't get along that well together. But I decided that if there ever was a good time for him to show up, this was it. But he never came. And the last thing I saw before I closed my eyes was the sun reflecting off the knife that my father held in his hand. And I closed my eyes and I lay on that altar for an eternity. And it was then we heard the voice. Abraham? Abraham! To which my father answers in his typical fashion. Here I am. And then there was a very pregnant pause. And as I lay on that altar, my ears were almost coming off my head. Because I had a vested interest in the outcome of this conversation. (laughs) And finally the voice spoke for the second time. Do not lay a hand on that boy. Don't touch him. Because now I know that you fear God. When I heard those words on the altar, I opened my eyes. And once again... The world seemed like a friendly place. (laughs) Dad didn't speak. He just came over to me and he untied me and lifted me off that altar. And he grabbed me and held me so tight that I thought I was going to pass out. And while he held me, we heard a noise over in the bushes. And I looked over and saw a ram that was caught by its horn. Now up until that time in my life, I had never realized what a beautiful creature a ram actually is. I love this ram. My father still didn't speak. He went over to that ram and he tied him up with the same cord that he had used on me. And he brought him over to the altar And he sacrificed him. And we watched as the smoke went up into heaven. And when it did, the voice spoke for the third time. Because you are willing to sacrifice your only son, I'm going to give you more children than there are stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. You will possess the gates of the cities of your enemies. And whoever blesses you, I will bless And whoever curses you, I myself will curse. And it will be through you 
that every family on earth will receive a blessing. We heard those words and we fell down on our faces and we worshipped God. And when we finished, we went back down that mountain and we went home to Beersheba. And the whole way home, I made sure that my father stayed just a little bit in front of me just in case he had any other ideas I didn't know about. I'll tell you the truth. This was the most unusual thing that happened in my life. And for the life of me, when I was alone on that mountain with my father, I could not figure out why God would let something like this happen. To be more accurate... Why would God command for this to happen? I've had a long time to think about it. And I finally come to understand a few things. The first is this whole idea about the resurrection of the dead. Do you know that there are people living even in this day who do not believe in the resurrection of the dead? They always say the same thing person is born, they live their life, they die, and when they die, that's the end of it. That kind of talk drives me crazy. How in the world do you think my father could have done what he did if he did not believe in the resurrection of the dead? And as a matter of fact, that's what the writer says about him in the book of Hebrews. He writes, by faith. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son, even though all his descendants were promised to come through him, because he knew if it was necessary that God would bring him back from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead. The resurrection of the dead. There's no one who believes that more than my father. But there's a second reason maybe an even more important reason. I've come to see that God commanded this to happen so that he could give the world a picture. A picture of a father who had such great love that he was willing to sacrifice his only son in order to prove it. A father whose love was so deep that he was willing to give him up so that no one could ever doubt the depths of his love. It was almost 2,000 years ago, my most famous descendant of all, the Messiah himself, climbed that same mountain range. But when he got to the top, there was no ram there to save him. He gave his life. But like me, his story didn't end on top of that mountain. He also came back from the mountain, came back from the dead, not figuratively, but literally, just so he could complete the picture for the world. The picture of the father who had such great love that he was willing to sacrifice his only son in order to prove it. The father whose love was so deep that he took the one that he valued most in the universe and he gave him up so that no one could ever question the depths of his love. 
I've thought about that day so many times over the years. I used to wonder at first if I knew what my father's plans were. Would I have gone to that mountain with him? And I can tell you now, I would do it in a second. To have just a small part to play in the picture of the love that God has for the world, what greater thing could I have done with my life? And when I think about all the lessons I... What? I know, I understand, but I... Yeah, I I just need another minute. I'm Sorry. It's mom. (laughs) Ever since the little trip dad and I went on, she just hates it when the both of us are out of her sight at the same time. I'm fine, really. I just want to... I know, but I, I... You know what? This is not your life. This is my life. So rather than drag you into it, let me go and satisfy her curiosity. But before I go, let me leave you with a thought. A promise, really. I can promise all of you here that for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus the Messiah, we're all going to have a chance to see each other again. And it's going to be in the world that's to come after this one. Shalom. Coming, Mom. Coming.